Welcome to Legal Ease Australia, presented by a layman and a lawyer. It's designed to demystify the legal process. It'll answer questions like, how do I buy a property? And what do I do if I get arrested? As well as featuring some of Melbourne's leading legal minds and most compelling cases. This is Legal Ease Australia. Welcome to the fifth episode of Legal Ease Australia. My name's Tom Andronis and I'm the layman uh, in this conversation. I'll be the one asking the pretty basic questions. And uh, joining me is John Mellier. He's the lawyer in the conversation. He's principal at Mellier Lawyers. He's a barrister and a solicitor and a member of the Law Institute of Victoria. G'day, John. Hello, Tom. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, as we know, the idea of this podcast is to demystify some of the crazy language and, and process that goes on as part of the legal process by asking and answering some pretty basic questions. But obviously this podcast sounds a little bit different to the previous episodes, and that's because we're obviously recording under lockdown conditions. The buzzword at the moment is pivoting, so we've pivoted like so many others have, and here we are. How's, how's lockdown been treating you, John? Pretty good. It's different. I found it a bit strange being pulled over by the police the other day and having to tell them, look, I only live around the corner, but I'm going to the supermarket and if you want to come along, you're welcome. So that was pretty good <laughs> and I got away with it, which I did. I went to the supermarket. but Yeah, how bizarre. And and did you have to present any sort of paperwork or was it just... My licence predominantly. He checked my licence and he was happy with that and that was it. We're not allowed to... Lawyers, for some reason in Victoria, are not allowed to open. We're not considered an essential service. I would have thought we were, particularly in this time dealing with issues for people who've got leases with commercial tenancies problems, other issues and family law and family violence issues. I would have thought in Victoria we would have been a um, essential service, but we're not, so we have to be closed. How bizarre. Uh, perhaps we should, at some point in the not-too-distant future, dissect the legalities of this uh, lockdown situation. But today's topic is intervention orders, and no doubt I suspect there's probably been a spike in intervention order requests over this uh, last few months. But what are some of the, the things that you're hoping to learn before we introduce our guest today? To help people understand actually what an intervention order is, how it works, and how someone can apply for one if they need help or assistance. Excellent. So joining us uh, on the line today to enlighten us in the ways of the intervention order is Jess Willarch. She's a barrister at the Victorian Bar. Jess, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tom. No worries. Before we launch into intervention orders, tell us a little bit about about Jess and, and your practice, what you do. So I'm a barrister. I've been at the bar for three years now. I fell into law by chance. I finished high school and I wanted to go into hospitality. I worked as a waitress for a few years and then I decided I was going to move to the Gold Coast and I enrolled to do a business degree at Bond University. And then on orientation day, we got split up into groups and I ended up in the wrong group and I ended up going on the law tour and I thought law looks amazing. So I spoke to the um, coordinator and they said that they would uh, transfer me into law if I could pass three subjects well. So I fell into it by chance, but I love it. And after university, I became a lawyer. I went into commercial law. I did that for about three or four years and then I wanted to transition into crime and I've been a criminal lawyer and then a barrister ever since. Wow. I was not expecting you to say that you, you fell into it by accident. That's <laughs> yeah, Lawyers never say that. <laughs> no, I didn't have aspirations to be a lawyer at um, high school, but I did later in life. And so interestingly, I guess now that you have fallen into the law and, and you're obviously a very senior counsel, what is it that, like, do you still love now what you loved when you fell into it and sort of got hooked? 
Yeah, I do. And it's what I love about the law is it's very challenging. It's very dynamic. It's always changing. And being a barrister, you get briefed in different matters. So there's never a dull moment. You know, you're always in a new area. So it's really good. You're always getting to challenge yourself. It never becomes dull. No, absolutely not. And I mean, it's obviously very challenging. And that's kind of the premise of this podcast. So we do seek to demystify and I guess strip out some of the legalese that that we have around the law and and legal process in Victoria and, and Australia. So today's topic is intervention orders. So why don't you start by telling us, you know, what is an intervention order? So simply put, an intervention order is a binding court order. It's made in the magistrate's court by a magistrate and it's to safeguard a person who fears for their safety or has, who has experienced ongoing harassment from another person. So the order just contains conditions about how the respondent, which is a person who the order is made against, can behave towards a protected person. And it's just important to note that it's a civil order. It's not a criminal finding. Right. So you haven't been charged and found guilty of anything. It's a, an arrangement that a court puts in place to restrict the behaviour of, of an individual or individuals. That's exactly right. However, it is the um, to breach an intervention order, it is it's a criminal act. Right. So in what sort of contexts are intervention orders most often sought? So there's two types of um, intervention orders. So there is the personal safety order. So if you and the other party are not family members, so if your neighbours, friends, work colleagues, could be a tenant, landlord, student, could be a stranger, it's called a personal safety order or the other type is a family violence order. So that's if the other person is a family member or someone that you've been in an intimate relationship with. Okay, presumably they are often sought in the case of family violence stalker situations you know what, what sort of situations yes. might might you encounter well it can be um it can be between a husband and wife who are still together where there's been some sort of violence it can also be between people who have been in past relationships and somebody in that relationship can't move on and then starts um, demonstrating the prohibited behavior like stalking or emotional or physical abuse or something along those lines I've also seen orders between parents and their children, especially if one of the children may have some issues and then there could be an order put in place to stop any of this sort of prohibited behaviour. Right. Uh, Common would be relationship though that I have seen. It sounds like someone who seeks an intervention order against somebody else, that has to have been persistent over time or can you seek an intervention order based on, on a single incident? Well, you can seek it on a single incident, but the test um, at court is, so when they are, when the magistrate's looking at putting in a final order, they'll look at has something happened in the past and is it likely to continue to do so? So if it was a one-off incident and by the time you get to a hearing 12 months have passed, the magistrate may not make an order because there may not be any ongoing issues. Right. So when you say if I wish to apply for an intervention order, who do I go to? Do I go to Barrister Jess or Solicitor John? <laughs> I would start with Solicitor John. Okay, so John, what's what's the process when I go to John for a, an intervention order? So the process is normally we take instructions as to what's happened, what's taken place, and if we think there's an issue and enough material to support an application, we'll help them make that application through the court. And what will happen is they'll need to contact the intervention order coordinator at the local court in their local area, uh, make an appointment, and then they go, they fill in a form 
and then they're given a time to go before the magistrate. And the magistrate will hear the application ex, what's called ex parte, without the other side present. And on oath, if they accept what the person's telling them in their application, they'll grant what's called an interim order. And the interim order will remain in place until there's a further hearing in which that order served on the other person who's the respondent to be heard and dealt with at a later time. So that subsequent hearing, uh, John, is what Jess has referred to that occurs in the magistrate's court and, and 12 months might elapse between the two occurrences. Is that correct? Correct, because in the, in the interim, there'll be directions, hearings or men, what they call mentions, where each side will come along and state, well, the respondent will state they want to fight or object to the order. Acting for the applicant will want to um, proceed with the order. So there'll be a number of hearings and directions about all that, and then there'll be a formal full hearing at a later right. date. So, Jess, what sort of things does a, an intervention order protect you from? So it protects, uh, protects you from matters that the courts are prohibited. So stalking, if someone's stalking you, showing up outside your house or your work, if they're abusing you either physically or emotionally, if they're damaging your property, if they're saying awful things about you on the internet, which is really prevalent now with social media, Facebook, Instagram, any of those sort of behaviours. And family violence is also has a really wide defini definition and it can include economic abuse. So if you're living with a partner and they're controlling all of your finances, not giving you equal access to money or making you um, economically dependent on them, then they can seek an order. When should I, if, if I feel like I'm victim of, of some of these, you know, at what point do you get to before you go, oh, I better talk to someone about an intervention order? At what point does that enter the conversation? I would say generally if you're feeling unsafe um, with respect to somebody else's actions, then you should seek an order. If you feel that you're in immediate danger, you should obviously contact the police. And police can also apply on your behalf for an intervention order. The interesting thing is police can apply on your behalf. And even if you don't want an order, if you don't want an order in the first place, police can pursue the application if, in their opinion, they think that you're unsafe and take it to a final hearing. That's a lot of things. That, that I know. That I could be the victim of a situation not wish to have an intervention order taken out against the other person and yet it still occurs. That's a bit of a, is that a quirk of the Australian system? Do you see that in other jurisdictions as well? No, I think it's a bit of a quirk of the Australian system. So basically if, if you had a partner and somebody called the police because they thought you were having some sort of altercation, police arrive and they make the assessment that you or your partner needs protection, they can actually go to the court against your wishes seek an interim order, which could exclude you or your partner from the property, and then proceed with a final order, even if you don't want one. And on one hand, it's important to have that because often victims of violence, you know, won't feel safe going to court to get an order, and they may fear the repercussions from somebody who's abusive towards them. But then on the other hand, it also takes away our liberty to choose who we want to be with and, and you know, our relationships and also, obviously, police are under-resourced and they can get things wrong. They don't hear the full side from both stories. They can just come to a house and not assess the situation correctly. And then an interim order can be in place until a final order, which could be 12 months. Right. And so if I'm, I'm, if I'm the respondent to an application for an intervention order, as in someone has applied, whether it's the police or someone I know, has applied to have an intervention order against me, what, what do I do? How do you handle that situation? So you'll get served um, with a summons to attend court. 
And my first, my first piece of advice would be to go to a lawyer because it can be confusing and seek legal advice. Um, you have a number of options if you're served with an order. So you'll go to court. You can either consent to the order without admissions, which means you can say, I don't want anything to do with this person. I'll accept the order, but I don't agree with any of the allegations they've made against me. Or you can um, provide an undertaking to the court if the other person accepts that. So that's not a civil order. That's just a promise to the court. Or you can contest the matter and, as John said, go to a directions hearing and then ultimately a contested hearing. So there are options available to you. And as the respondent, what, I guess, how can an intervention order restrict my behaviour? So if you were in a relationship with somebody, an intervention order could mean that you are not to go within a certain distance of them. If you were living together, you could be excluded from the property. It will stop you if you were publishing material about them, damaging their property. And as I said, it's a civil order and a lot of people ask, will it come up? You know, if I'm going for a job, will they know that there's an intervention order? But that's separate. That's, they usually do a criminal check and it doesn't come up on that. But if you were to breach the order, you'll be before the court and there'll be criminal, criminal penalties, which could be a fine or jail. So is an intervention order generally about proximity to somebody? But you've also mentioned that it could include online proximity. So how are those sorts of orders made and, and enforced, I suppose? Well, they can actually, so they can make a non-contact order, which means that you're not allowed to, as I said, go within a certain amount of, and that's negotiated a certain distance of the person, protected person, you're not allowed to show up at their work, you're not allowed to publish material about them on the internet. So if they were to report the police that you were saying awful things or disparaging things about them on Facebook, then they could report that. Or there can be a contact order, which means you and the um, protected person can still see each other, but there are certain things that you can't do, which is, you know, any sort of abuse or anything like that. It's a very wide definition. I suppose, first we'll ask, what happens if you go through that, say, period, and then you appear in court and then a final order is made? What happens then? Is that, you know, for life or is it for a stipulated period of time? How long can that order be binding against you? It's for a stipulated period of, time, uh, period of time. Generally, it's 12 months, but if the behaviour that caused the imposition of the order is quite concerning, it could be for a number of years. And there are also, for instance, if you have firearms and there's a final order made, you have to surrender all your firearms and then apply to become um, a non-prohibited person. So there are a number of things that arise when a final order is made. And you can also appeal that order to the higher court so if it's made in the magistrate's court and you don't agree with it, you can appeal it to the county court. But the interim orders, which can be made ex parte, as John said, cannot be appealed. So they're in place until there's a determination in relation to the final hearing. Right. Okay. So let's say that I have had an intervention order filed or served against me and I've gone through that interim period and I've gone to court and the, there is a final order made. I suppose, obviously, the terms of that order are spelled out pretty clearly. But what happens if I breach them? So if you breach the order, it's a police matter and police will issue a charge against you and then you must appear at court. And then in terms of penalties, you can get a fine or up to two years jail for breaching a family violence intervention order. Yeah, so it's pretty serious if you're breaching orders. And a really interesting thing that comes up is if... If you were with somebody and they got an order against you and the magistrate said that you weren't to contact that other person and then they started calling you or coming over and wanting to see you, 
if you engaged in that contact, you would be breaching the order. And the fact that they called you or wanted to come and see you is not a defence. That's something that a lot of people get caught up in and could be quite serious. So, John, anecdotally, throughout this COVID period in particular, there's been a lot of talk about increases in family violence in particular because everyone's you know, cooped up effectively within their own four walls under lockdown conditions. Is that something that you've seen and therefore is there's been a sort of a spike in these intervention orders as a correlation as well? Yes, Tom, there's been a spike in intervention orders and there's been a spike in family law matters and I've been um, kept very busy during COVID with the increased numbers of couples wanting to separate, deal with their property and ultimately divorce. And I've had a large number of um, inquiries about intervention orders as well, which unfortunately are an aspect of that as well. But if, I mean, this is, this is obviously a bizarre situation, but how do you deal with intervention orders when the law under the state of emergency is that you have to stay inside your house? Well, unfortunately, as Jessica was saying, some of them are bought by Victoria Police and effectively they remove the respondent from the, the property and make sure they don't come back. So unfortunately, the respondent will have to go and move somewhere else and they're able to do that because of by virtue of the interim order issued by the court. So they can rely on the interim order to move about and find another place during COVID. The problem then stems from, well, what if they can't find somewhere or how do they move around? And I know Victoria Police has issued some sort of guideline to say, well, if there's family violence issues, you're allowed to, you know, move outside the curfew, etc. But I believe that's only if you're in immediate danger not during a normal, you can't rely on that as an excuse. Just if you're uh, moving about or going about uh, trying to go outside the COVID rules, if that happens, you'll be fine. So, no doubt. But the pressure, it's, it's become a pressure cooker because it's not normal for people to be locked up 24 hours a day. And unfortunately, it's put a lot of pressure on couples and couples might have had problems beforehand that they were able to deal with because they weren't with each other every day. They were working, they were doing other things, getting help from other people. And COVID's just made that into a 360 and put everyone in a pressure cooker situation. And we're seeing the outcome of that through increases in family law matters and intervention orders. I don't think anyone probably ever wants to find themselves in a situation where they're either uh, applying for an intervention order or, or having one, I guess, put against them. But under these circumstances, you know, this COVID situation with lockdowns and those sorts of things, these things probably also become a whole lot more complex. Before we move to the last phase of the conversation, uh, which are the takeaways from, from today's discussion, Jessica, is there anything in particular that we've missed or that you feel like you, you want to emphasise with regards to intervention orders? Just always, if you're served um, with an intervention order, please seek legal advice, know what your options are. And also just be aware, as we said, the if an interim order is made, you're not able to appeal it. So always seek legal advice about that as well. But I think we've covered everything else. Excellent. So my takeaways, you know, as the layman from in this conversation is that uh, someone might apply for an intervention order uh, if they fear for their safety in some way. And that doesn't necessarily have to be just physical safety. It can also be online. There are two types of intervention orders. Correct me if I'm wrong here. A personal safety order where uh, that applies in a situation where you're not family members, not related to each other, 
and the other is a family violence order. Am I right on that? Yes, you're right on that. Tick. Intervention orders can apply in situations of stalking, abuse, and, and all sorts of different types of abuse, financial abuse, physical abuse, also property damage, online bullying, which we talked about, and of course, family violence. And the process is that you are served with an interim order and then you have to appear in court at a later date at some point where that order may be upheld or, or dismissed. If there is a final order, you can appeal it. And finally, if you breach it, you can go to jail. That's right. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Jessica Willard is a barrister at the Victorian Bar. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, guys. Thanks, John. As always, John Melia, Principal at Melia Lawyers. Appreciate your, your time. And thank you, Tom, and to the Content Engine, and congratulations on the birth of your daughter. <laughs> thank you very much. Lockdown has been difficult for more reasons, more, more than one reason. We must, of course, put in our regular disclaimer that this is general advice only, and if you require specific advice or assistance, you should contact a legal practitioner. Thank you for joining us for Legal Ease Australia. We hope you learned something from this conversation and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon.